0: Gather in the lamp, an Aston Villa podcast.
1: He slipped it through. Wesley! He's up to the ball! That is a gigantic goal from a man who was made in the whole game and he delivers in London when it really matters for Aston Villa. Brilliant! Oh, brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! Orse helps it on to Tyrone Reigns and
2: Hello and welcome back to the Gathering the Lamp podcast brought to you by underagastlitlamp.com. In this episode, which is episode 9, season 2, we're going to be covering the 4-3 loss to Southampton, Villa's upcoming fixture against Arsenal, and be sharing some opinions about what's been going wrong for Villa in the past two games. The gang's all here this week. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FineFoy, and I'm joined by Mark. And
1: Andy. What's going on, everybody? Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. I'm gonna run through some things about Villa the past two games that we've we just noticed, not too happy about, but uh really, really glad to be back on the pod with everybody, especially uh Mr. Good friend Andy Bates. Hi everyone, nice to be back. Missed last week, I was on holiday.
0: Um yeah, bit of a bit of a strange one for me. This is the first podcast when we've actually lost. So um yeah, not looking forward to this one so much. <laughs> but it's good to be back with you guys anyway. Well let's dive
2: straight into the Southampton game, I guess. You know, in, in the lead up to the game, there was a lot said by by both local and, and national press about, about the importance of, of Villa having a much better performance than than what they showed against Bielsa's Leeds United in, in the previous game. Um Southampton had started the better of the two sides and and very early on. Won uh, a corner as Tyron Mings was forced to head away, and they thought that they'd picked up an early goal within the first three or four minutes as Ezri Konsa fumbled the clearance uh, of this head corner. Um, and you know it—it it was like bouncing between him and Che Adams, and and ended up in the in the back of the net. Uh, the goal was eventually disallowed by by VAR as Che Adams was called offside. But it, it was very much a sign of things to come for Villa, although they didn't really know it at the time. It it wasn't a strong start at all, and it was one of those one of those starts to a game that that has become over the last I don't know. Five or so years, probably, probably just before we were we were relegated initially. It's one of those things that you know you start a game and you you're potentially one nil down, um, after a couple of minutes, and you just think, oh, it's typical Villa. But you know we we really got away with one there. I feel, uh, obviously, not too much judging by the end result. But what are your thoughts, Mark?
1: I thought we might have got away with one a little bit there. I'm I'm just generally I mean we'll we'll get to it here shortly, but I'm just not happy with how Villa seemed to to set up when it when it comes to uh, like free kick opportunities just being organized. You know, you got a couple of leaders or perceived leaders on that on that pitch, and they need to start speaking up and pointing guys out. You know, it's it's not screaming at someone just to be mean. You can you can get into somebody without being mean to them. So I, I just think there needs to be a little bit more communication. But I do think Villa got away with one for this this first goal that got called off from VAR.
0: Yeah, I think I I tend to agree with that, Mark. Um, although you say we got away with it. He he was offside, you know, so in a way in a way it was it was a, it was a correct decision, but obviously wouldn't have been wouldn't have been given under normal circumstances and it was a bit of a mess. Um but yeah, it was it just it just seemed like that slow start again, which we've we've kinda got used to with Villa, just that just not really sort of getting out on the front foot um and, and and getting after teams and it it was it it was all it was all a bit uh lackadaisical really and you know I, yeah got away with one and you you hope then a bit like palace last season that we we wake up a bit then but but uh, of course of course we didn't really and we we, we, we continue to uh, to play in that vein. I think, you know, the
2: annoying thing is that, that Villa Park has almost been like this bastion for like good form for us over the past couple of seasons. I I think our away form for, for the vast majority of, you know, Dean Smith's tenure and, and even before that has been has been relatively poor. Um and you always expect you know strong starts strong displays at Villa Park even if you are going to lose and f- f- to be potentially you know a goal down after a couple of minutes especially when you are at home is it's just so disheartening as a fan and y- you kind of sense that things are, are gonna continue in the same vein moving forward
1: yeah I, th- I think so and I, th- I think you know I, this is one of those games and we're, we're gonna run through the game and talk about all the things but I think this is one of those games that when Villa do concede early in this game, I, I think the, the Villa faithful in Villa Park under normal circumstances would kind of be able to pick them up and let them know, like, hey, there's a lot of game left. Get get your head on straight and get back back to work here a little bit. It's just, it's just my opinion. I know a lot of people think that, like, oh, well, by now they know there's no supporters in the stadiums. It, it really shouldn't matter. But I think for a team like Villa that's so rooted within the community and with such, you know, steadfast supporters and people that, you know, are – are wonderfully, wonderfully proud of their club as they should be. I think it would have made all the difference if they were there. Andy, do you think that maybe that, that would have been something that, that, that may have uh, rectified some situations? Well, I mean, it can go both ways,
0: can't it? at the the ground. I mean, obviously, you know, you'd expect if, if we were in the ground at the moment, there'd be a, a really good atmosphere about the place because, you know, it's been a, it's been a great start, um, to the season. Um, so a little a little hiccup like that and then to get away with it you might have seen a a bit of a surge of noise um from the whole ten just to just to yeah wake wake them up a little bit maybe um that wasn't there i i mean I, I think truthfully when professional footballers are are out there doing their thing on the pitch i think i think a lot of that gets blocked out anyway um and they're they're focused on what they're doing or you'd hope they are anyway um, so you know maybe it makes a difference if 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 the if if the crowd are in um I certainly think a full villa park you know if if something happened and you know we were able to suddenly go back to for the next the next home game, I think it would be an incredible atmosphere, and I think it would it would really drive them on um but whether it makes too much difference when they know the score it's a great place to play anyway. You know, I, th- I think uh, it was a slow start, and it wasn't a particularly professional um, way to begin the game. Really, I think you know you you mentioned that that you'd hope that Villa Park
2: would like be able to pick the the team up, Mark. And um, <clears throat> I'll kind of lean on you a bit here, Andy, because you know, whilst we whilst we both attend games, I know you've you've been attending for much longer than I have. Um, you know, I feel that so at times. Villa Park isn't necessarily always you know, the the kind of lifting up type of, of ground um, you know, obviously we know that the game ended 4-3 but I think you know, 2-0 down 3-0 down, you you kind of sometimes get the, the the fans on the players' backs, you hear the groans at a misplaced pass and things like that. And I think, you know, it happens everywhere. I'm not just saying it a bit of Villa Park, but I think it can go one or two ways. And, you know, I think what, yes, whilst we have such an amazing, amazing support, I think at times, you know, Villa Park doesn't help itself um, and I'm referring Villa Park as as the collective fan base inside the stadium, but um, yeah, there's been so many times where you know we've, f- for example, scored a goal and can conceded directly after, and then you know you've got then got five ten minutes of of grumbles or moans or the odd bit of silence, and uh, yeah, I think it think I think it can go you know one one or two ways inside inside Villa
0: Park. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Absolutely. I mean, there've been i've I've witnessed the the whole range of things really um and of course really since the relegation year, there has definitely been a touchiness um in the stadium um very very quick to to become dissatisfied and and to start to start getting on on players' backs and and really you know it's not something i necessarily remember from from sort of back in the 90s when i started going obviously there was you do get your moans and groans and things like that but it does definitely seems to turn toxic quicker these days um since that relegation season which which is understandable for you know for for supporters that that were were going to games during that period of time and for the two or three seasons before that it was miserable, you know, and that season would have been fairly traumatic in a sense, in a football sense, to to go to Villa Park every week, having shelled out five, six hundred pounds for your season ticket, um, and to, to to witness some of the dreadful dross and and just essentially players not really lifting a leg would have been really hard, and it takes a bit of a while to to kind of get over that, I suppose. And I think we've said before about, you know, you're almost waiting for that for the next, whenever things are good, you're waiting for the next, the next bad bit, the next, the next decline, the next, um, terrible performance. And, um, I guess the confidence, although the confidence should be pretty high, I guess it's there's still a bit of still a bit fragile maybe amongst the fan base. You see it on Twitter. I know we're not in the ground, but you you do see it on Twitter, um, and, and and other other platforms, you know, that it can get it can just go it can just turn very quickly and Dean Smith goes from being the saviour um last time we spoke, <laughs> Regan, and uh, to to people questioning his job again and, you know, it, it's 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 I don't know it, i I guess it's just the nature of football fans, but it is certainly a thing that I think's been more evident at Villa Park over the last Five or six seasons, I would say,
2: yeah, I agree, and I think you know we, we will get into the Southampton game shortly, but I think much of our survival last season and and much of our good start to to this season yes there's there's been away games involved in all of those um last season and this season, but i I feel like a, a lot of the uh the good fortune that we've had over the last six, seven months has come from fans not being there, um, and and it's, it's it's a very tough thing to say because, uh, you know, as I've said, Villa, Villa fans are, are one of the most passionate f- like fan bases in in the country, um, but you you have to argue that perhaps players are performing better or or more consistently because they haven't got the the groan every time they misplace a pass or or so forth
1: yeah I mean I, I was more alluding to the fact when I said that it might have been changed that you know there are good times and there are bad times it, it happens all across all the different sports are being played right now and even you're kind of seeing in American football as well where they're starting to let x amount of people in and they're they're gapped out and they're socially distanced they have to wear a mask things like that but I mean you're even seeing like some teams like start to turn it on by having those the, uh, those supporters in the grounds themselves. So I, I, I mean, I've seen it both ways, even though I've never attended a game of Villa Park quite yet. Um, you know, I've, I've been able to see it and hear it both ways whenever it's not going so well, you know, Villa supporters are pretty passionate, you know, in both instances of being positive and then maybe even sometimes being overly negative to being a detriment, you know, to the team. Cause let's, let's face it. No one likes to get booed and no one likes to have groans and moans every time they're on the ball or, you know, things like that. Or like you said, misplace a pass, you know, turn a shot wide past the post. You know, there's there's a lot of instances. It's a it's a fast game out there. So I don't know. I was just maybe it's just a little fantasy land for me, thinking that if, if fans were in the ground, they'd be able to. You know, I don't know. Maybe just have a little bit of compassion, maybe. But I don't know. The time we live in right now, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of that going around. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think
0: I, I understand what you what you're saying there, Mark, because you do have this this idea that you know you go to a game and it's this wonderful this wonderful occasion and and and, and quite often it, it really isn't it's um it's 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 hard work at times um not hard work but it, it you know there's there's a lot of negativity sometimes because for sport is like that it's not always pleasing and particularly if you're following and you're you're massively emotionally invested in in one of the teams that that's playing it's and they're losing it's 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 not it's not nice is it and uh it can feel a bit like that but but you know in the next year or so um i'm sure you'll get over and experience that and it'll be a great occasion mark
1: i'm, I'm hoping so man i'm dying like i, I was thinking about it a couple of days ago i'm like man i can't believe i was 32 days away from the, from that but i mean I know, we'll, yeah. we'll get there i'm not i'm not i'm not getting too down about it just yet yeah you'll do it
2: <laughs> fingers crossed we can get you over as soon as it's, uh, it's
1: possible, Mark yeah I'm hoping so I mean even I, I was talking to somebody about it the other day just just real quickly and they're like would you really go over there without a vaccine I was like yeah yeah I would but um you know if I could find one cheaper without the you know without the insurance thing going on I, I, I would risk it I would risk it for the villa I would come over and get one of our free ones on the NHS yeah I tell you what if they, if they let me I'm swimming across that damn ocean <laughs>
2: Uh, right, let's get back into the uh, the Southampton game then. And it was Southampton that did eventually take the lead just before the 20-minute mark. Matt Target conceded a free-kick out wide, which was then uh, eventually swung into the box by James Ward-Prowse, where Yannick Vestergaard was waiting to jump above John McGinn to follow his header into the far-out right corner of the net. You-, you look back on this goal and... Um, Villa often opt for a zonal marking approach, but if if you look at a lot of the um the marking in in set pieces and 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 crosses and and things like that, it is often John McGinn marking Vestergaard throughout the game. So I think it was, it was a decision and a poor decision at that. Um, you know, you you look you look at John McGinn, um, and he's overshadowed figuratively and literally by. By Vestergaard, you know, um McGinn is what 5 foot 8 and and Vestergaard is 6 foot 6. You know, there's been a picture going around on on Twitter today of him standing in the shower and he's like standing above his shower head. Um, do you think this is a bit of a flaw for for Villa's coaching staff or do you, do you feel like, you know, marking from set of pieces and corners as, as was it one of our downfalls? Last year um until we actually managed to sort our defense out so do do you think we're like- possibly like wading back into those waters or or do you think perhaps it's just a, a one off mistake? I don't know really it's very hard to kind of um put a finger on why that decision was made. What are your thoughts mark
1: uh, i this, this drove me crazy because I've seen it in the, in the previous past games as well with John McGinn. It seems like he's always matched up against one of the taller, one of the more, um, I guess, physically demanding players of the opposition. I mean, look, like, you know, Emmy Martinez isn't going to be able to put milk crates on the side of his net to just throw to John McGinn whenever there's a corner. You know, it's just, it's just to me, it's common sense. He, he's not tall. And to be honest, we all love John McGinn. I'm not knocking him, but he he is what he is. You know, he, he's he is shorter. And again, it's not a knock on him. It's just facts. Um, for him to be lined up for Vesta Guard, if it's zonal marking, that's great. But again, like I was saying before, there has to be leaders on that pitch that are just looking around just to see what's going on, make sure everybody's marked, and notice that. There's almost a full foot between John McGinn and Vestergaard. To me, it's just common sense. It's not being overly negative. It's not not me, you know, throwing a jab at, at the coaching staff or anything, but like someone's gotta say something. You got you gotta cut that shit out a little bit. Um, as far as the, the inconsistencies of defending over the past two games, I don't think they're gonna revert to how poor they were most times last season. I do think there's still some things that need to be worked on and tweaked. But at the end of the day, it's just it it, it happens very fast and I get it, but someone's got to tell John McGinn or some, one of the coaching staff's got to realize that's not going to get it done. That's not going to work. It was just, I don't know. That's just, it's really common sense to me, Andy. Did you see it as like a common sense kind of thing? Or did, did you think that maybe that this is just the way it's going to be and they're just going to continue doing this?
0: Well, I think, I think the, the temptation is always to, to match your, your biggest men against their biggest men, isn't it? Um, But I guess that there will be a, a tactical reason behind this, and I'm not an expert when it comes to, you know, defending set pieces. Um, but but I, I think that from, just from reading between the lines and, and so on, I, I think the idea is to kind of match the men up a little bit, but almost leave your best defenders or a best defender, someone like Mings free to attack the ball. Now, that's fine if you haven't got a an absolute wizard of a free kick specialist taking the free kick, which they which they obviously had, and he, he you know he can pick out whoever he wants, and obviously they've 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 looked at that and he's 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 picked out the big man. And he's still got to put it in the net, you know, and that and that's the thing. Sometimes it's it's that idea of um you know almost playing the percentages even if he wins the ball ahead of McGinn he's not necessarily definitely going to score is he and I think sometimes that it's about you know just taking that risk to be able to potentially defend it better in in another way if they don't quite get the delivery right but um, it's something we've been caught out on a number of times last season I think and 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 certainly the other night, the other day was um, an example again of, the, of that. And it it just it it feels like a lack of common sense. But I'm sure there's a I'm sure there is a a, a kind of tactical reason behind it. But what that is, I, I I I don't know for sure. To be honest, do you think that we we lack a bit of height
2: as a, as a team, um, and, and and we pay the price for that? You know, you've got McGinn who's who's what five foot. I've literally just said it, and I've, I've I've completely lost it. It's five foot eight, um, I believe. But then you've got Douglas Louise, who I think is five nine. Um, I'm pretty sure Jack is five ten. Um, I'd argue Cash is probably around the same height, um, and, and the same with Trezeguet. Do you think we pay the price for not having more more big men in the, in the center of the field? I think Barkley might be like six foot, but um, you know you just have to look at. At Southampton's midfield um you know you've got romeo who's who's fairly tall um, Ward-Prowse isn't i don't think he's he's too tall, but i think he's i think he's taller than both McGinn and louise um but the point I'm trying to make is you've got Trezeguet in the box you've got cash in the box you've got McGinn in the box, you've got louise in the box to defend the corner um Four of those men are more than likely dwarfed by their opponents because you know the the, the opposition are sending their centre backs and their forwards into the box. Um, so do do you think this is something we pay the price for in terms of having perhaps a more a more creative side, um, a more agile side, um, but then we, we we lack from from set pieces.
1: I think a little bit, but you also, I mean, there's other players on the pitch that are taller than John McGinn. There's no reason why Matt Target couldn't, you know, try at six foot. Matt Target staying six foot tall. You're also missing Bjorn Ingles out of the side. He's six foot four inches tall. Courtney House has an injury or whatever's going on with him. He's six foot three inches tall. So, you know, there there are other options other than John McGinn try, trying to mark out, you know, Vestergaard, who's, who's six six. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to put too much stock into it. It's one goal, but the point is, I, I think you do make a very valid point that you know, for as much as we have a team that's assembled to essentially go forward quickly and efficiently, we're going to lack against some of these bigger sides in the Premier League that that have the the bigger defenders and even in some cases bigger midfielders. You, so, you
0: so, mentioned so, oh,
1: go on, sorry. the the way, the way you stop
0: that goal is to not give away the stupid free kick. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know in a, in an attacking area you know just a bit of that's where you need your common sense you know you don't have to be fouling people in those in those in those kind of areas um i'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit with the the, the next two goals but you know that that's to me that's a bit of a bit of common sense and a bit of um a surety um facing a facing a winger up um is probably is probably well that that goal doesn't get scored, does it? And the chances of them actually getting round and whipping a in and scoring. And if if they do that, if they beat you down that side and get a in and score, fair play, you know. But giving away a, a daft free kick when you've got a, a free kick specialist and a, and a guy who's six foot six, ready to head it in, is um, you know you get what you you get what you deserve in those circumstances.
2: It's a bit cause and effect, isn't it? Because you know, you said you don't give away the free kick, but the the first free kick was was conceded because Southampton had taken a foul throw, and and you know Jack and and Matt Target are standing there looking at the linesman like, why isn't this being called? Um, you know, Target's racing back and, and commits the foul. Um, but Mark, you mentioned both Engels and and Hawes. Um and I want to focus in on on Courtney Hawes a little bit because we spoke about this a couple of podcasts ago. And and Aerially, he's one of the best defenders in Europe. Surprisingly, um, you know he he's there was a graph that, that that was shared somewhere. I'm I'm sure we retweeted it on on our Twitter page, so you can scroll through and, and try and find it. But he literally is a standout centre back for for aerial duels and and aerial clearances. I'm not calling for a change in system because we you know we rotated systems a lot last season, but could we not perhaps use Courtney Hawes in in a back three um obviously it means we're we're sacrificing someone and I don't know who that someone is because despite two losses on the bounce all of our players are playing relatively well um but you know you've then got that asserted. Kind of aerial presence uh you've got concert and minx to do the ground jewels and and Courtney's there to to head away um it 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 is a question that that I guess needs to be considered and there's obviously a reason why why Dean isn't chopping and changing and and obviously i said i'm not I'm not calling for that because we've started the season incredibly well, but I think it is something to perhaps consider
1: yeah it's it's a good problem to have if you're Dean Smith, although it can be a frustrating one at times. Um, especially, you know, we're, we're talking about two center backs with Ezra Conter and Tyron Mings. It seemed to have definitely a little bit of chemistry between them. They definitely communicate well on the pitch. It's, it's pretty obvious to see from, from where I sit. Um, but, you know, then you have Courtney House's uh, there's been you know said that he he has an injury or whatnot but he's starting to post on his instagram story a little bit uh, about like kind of like a little bit like of motivating i guess phrases or you know memes things like that so obviously he wants to play he's a professional footballer you want to play you don't just want to you know show up to training and then sit on the bench or just not be included at all um i do think you know that house does have a part to play it's just tough because also you know we're getting You know, Ingles back at some point in time. You know, supposedly he's pretty close to returning as well, or already is. You know, returned. So. I, I don't know. It, it's it's just a tough problem to have for Dean Smith. But you know, when you win your first games in the Premier League, even if you lose the next two, you're probably going to stick with your center back pairing. So you, you don't want to get those guys get their feathers ruffled or anything like that. So I, it's it's got to be an even balance. It's, again, it's one of those things I, I say it a lot on the podcast and everything. But like, I'm, I'm glad I don't have that decision to make. But I, I don't I don't know if he'll split that up. I don't know if he'll go to a you know a, a three center back system just quite quite yet. Um, I, th- I think it should be in the in the locker somewhere, but I don't think it happens just yet. What about Courtney Hawes at, at left back? Um Yeah, I mean he's played there before. We all know he's played there yeah. before. And you know, that's that's something, you know, Matt, Matt Target now. I mean, we we saw it in the in the Southampton game. Sometimes he just gets a little flustered and I was messaging uh, Regan during the game and even said that man like Matt Target, he'll, Jack Grealish will cut inside then look to his left, Matt Target will be on the overlap, but when the ball hits Matt Target's feet and he looks up, it's almost like he's a deer in headlights. I have no confidence in him to beat a man one-on-one and uh, it's, it's a shame, but I'm not saying that Courtney House would, but it's just the one criticism I have of Matt Target.
0: I, I quite liked Courtney House at, at, at left back when he first came to the club and I know it was in the championship, so it's, it's slightly different. But he's very good on the ball, you know. He, he and he's, I think he's, he's he's passing his distributions very good. He's obviously a, a, a you know a good defender. He's very calm on the ball and, and winning the ball back, you know. And if there are games where you perhaps need to to increase the the height of the team defensively, um, I think that would be that's an option. So you don't have to change the system so much um, to play a back three. You can just bring him in at and play him at left-back. I think he's very comfortable there. Um, For me, that, that certainly, against certain teams, that, that would be a, an option as far as I could see. Um, Similar to how we played concert at right-back after, after lockdown, just to add that little bit of solidity, um, and, and, and that make things a bit more compact, I suppose, at the back, and, and, and add the height. So, maybe that's something they'll, they'll think about, but, um, you know, we'll just have to see. I think as well. You know, we we
2: had one of the most um, most often changed uh, back lines, including goalkeepers last season. You know, we we I think we played four separate goalkeepers uh, at any time in the Premier League, and you know we were chopping and changing our, our back line with Gilbert and and Al and Engels and Hawes and Conser and Minks and and targeting Taylor, you know, it was constantly changing last season. And I think, you know, we've now got a kind of solidified back five, if you include Martinez. Um, and I think Dean's waiting to let them kind of pick themselves up after these two defeats before he starts changing things. Um, because, you know, you make changes quickly and and, and things start to crumble. And I think that, that he's really trying to avoid that this season.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It says a lot about, you know, having, having, having a a solidified system. And like I said, he doesn't want to break anybody's morale down here. He doesn't want it seeming like, okay, we're throwing everything that we did great in the first four games out the window. You know, that's important to to be able to strike that balance as a coach. Um, So I, I, I don't know. I think, I think Villa will be just okay. It's just, you know, it's, it's still just cut out the mistakes, know the strengths of your opposition, um, study up on what their strengths are. Know how to counteract them, or know how to not put yourself in the situations where you're, you're giving them those opportunities they're really good at. And you know, it's still. I mean, we still got a lot of games to go here, guys. This this isn't anything to, to be pushing the big red button and start throwing things out. But I, I would like to see a little bit more rotation as time goes on.
0: Yeah, I did a piece about um, last week on the on the website about um, that 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 kind of need for, for maybe that, that little bit more rotation around the fringes and I feel like Dean Smith is, since he came to the club really, has, has, has only ever really made huge changes when he's had to And um, know that there are certain players that, that do just play every game and that's the same with, with any team, um, but there are also there's also something to be said for keeping things a little bit fresh and one or two changes kind of every game really and to, to keep to keep players kind of rotating through through the team at times you know, players like um Connor Hurahan and 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 Al um maybe even Neil Taylor, Courtney Hawes, these these guys, you know, when they I mean if you throw them all in together, they might struggle, but but they're more they're they're all more than capable of coming in and holding their own as part of the team and and, and I'd like to see that you know, a little bit more. I was thinking about El Ghazi as well earlier and thinking, well, where's he gone? You know, he's he, sort of Trezeguet has kind of completely overtaken him. Um, but arguably El Ghazi's a more talented player. You know, he just needs to get his head down and, you know, and, and, and work as hard as Trezeguet does, I suppose. But um, yeah, we I think we need that little bit more rotation even when you think well what are you changing a winning team sometimes you sometimes you do that you know for a specific game you bring in a specific player and you know I I like I prefer to see that rather than just sticking with with the same team week after week
2: yeah I I agree um all right moving back to the Southampton game you know we, we we're, we're talking in in real in depth about things other than the game at the moment um which isn't a bad thing i i'm I, you know I'm really enjoying this this discussion but back to the Southampton game um and Villa were forced into an early change just before the half-hour mark as Bertrand Traoré looked to pull something really before putting the ball at a play. Um, Trezeguet replaced the 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 winger, and you know initially Traoré was a bit of a shock inclusion into the starting eleven. You know uh, Smith had elected to drop Trezeguet to the bench. We're all kind of still waiting to see what True Ray could bring to this Aston Villa team. Um, you know, we've seen glimpses in in the Carabao Cup with that, you know, that beautiful volley. But chances are looking few and far between with the way that Trezeguet has been playing. Do you think True Ray is going to be able to make his presence felt sooner rather than later, or or do you think he's going to be be a player that's going to take you know six seven months to kind of bed into the team?
1: I mean, I'm not too sure, but I know them chances aren't going to come as much as he might think they would. So it's really unfortunate that he pulled up with an injury here and had to get subbed off, but... um you know, at least at the, at the very, very least, we have Trezeguet that was on the bench to able to come on and, and really put in a shift. I thought he really played well. We'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, he, the next chance he gets, he's going to have to take it and he's going to have to play well. And it's not to say he didn't play well through 29 minutes. There was actually a passage of play around the 20, 22nd minute where I think it was after a corner and he kind of got stuck on the left hand side of the pitch. And him, he, him and Jackie Grealish, it was, it was very brief. It wasn't anything magical, but they looked like there was something there. It was like two creative players just meeting. You know, it was like two ships passing in the night, like, oh, okay, well, I, I know I can do this and you know you can do that. Let's try to make it work. And, you know, it, like, again, it was, it was very brief, but it was something I noticed. I'm not saying that, you know, Dino needs to give Traore a free-roam role and let him just, you know, parade around the pitch as he pleases. But, you know, it was, it was nice to see what, what he can do as a, as a starter instead of coming off on the bench in the latter stages of the game. Andy, what do you, what do you think about it? Do you think that Traore has got to take his chances when they come? Do you think the injury is a little bit unfortunate? Yeah, obviously, we have to see what the injury is. I haven't heard anything
0: um as yet. I don't know if you guys have. Um, I, it's 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 a shame. I think I, I was quite looking forward to seeing him uh from the start. I think in the in the hindsight it's probably proved to be perhaps the wrong call because I think Trezeguet just gives you so much um coming in from that side and um Tre really got his work cut out I think um to get to get ahead of him and it might may, may be that he needs to Get an opportunity elsewhere in the team, maybe on the other side or or through the middle, because um, I I I just think as well the 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 work rate that and the 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 cover coverage that Trezeguet gives you down that side, um, you know, is 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 invaluable, and I don't see anyone else in the team in the team doing that at the moment, um, and protecting cash to to some degree, um, so yeah he's just got to wait for his opportunity hasn't he but he's got to take it because um you know we've seen what happens with with, with players that maybe don't take their opportunity that you know they they don't get it back in for a for quite a long time and uh we took you know obviously you know maybe Wesley coming back at some point as well that that's another position in that front front line that that won't be available um so you know, he's, 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 he seems like an exciting player and I want to see exciting players um, do well at Villa. Um, you know, but he's 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 got to outwork Trezeguet, which is no mean feat. Absolutely. Uh, Douglas Louise conceded
2: a free kick in the 32nd minute from around 20 yards away from goal. You know, it was a poor decision really with Ward-Prowse on the pitch for Southampton. Um, and Ward-Prowse stood there, struck the ball with venom into the top left corner, passed the dive in Martinez and, and put Southampton two goals ahead. You know, it was a peach of a free kick, but how frustrating really was it to see Villa down by two goals before before
1: the end of the half? Uh, for me, the, the it would. It was shocking to see. I mean, not. I wasn't too too shocked about it because of the manner in which we gave away the goals, really. But I, I was more shocked about that. Of like, guys, you know, they have James Ward-Prowse, and I'm not saying he's a world beater, but when he's in dead ball situations, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I put him, I put him in that list somewhere uh, of being guys I would look to 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 put a ball in the back of the net from a, from a set piece opportunity. So I, I was more just upset of the the first goal goes in, the body language starts to go, and then this one goes in, and it definitely definitely went. I mean I I don't know it was just it was just shocking to see really I just I I, I wasn't expecting Villa to give away the silly chances and then I, I sure as hell wasn't expecting James Ward-Prowse to have the greatest birthday in Premier League history. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a hell of a day for him wasn't it, you know. Um
0: I think again you go back to to the sort of percentages argument um in some ways and I I read somewhere that he we're getting getting ahead of ourselves a little bit in terms of the goals but obviously we know he scored the two free kicks very close together and I did read somewhere that he was the first player to do that for X amount of years in the first half like two consecutive dead ball free kicks like that Um, you know and, and, and a lot of the time you would expect one of those not to go in or you know that's why I think players sometimes do give away those fouls um, I think Louise brought down Walcott, didn't he? And obviously Walcott's a pretty dangerous Premier League player. So you perhaps take that, you know, that foul and see what they can do with the free kick. And of course, that's really, really dangerous when you've got a guy like Ward Prowse on the field. But but even so, you know, for him to do that twice is 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 very difficult to do, and you don't expect it. Um, so. You know, he's but he's buried. I mean, that first one was an absolute belter. He's he's, he's really buried it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just a it's just a kick in the guts. You know, when you're hoping for a more competitive game. Yeah, you mentioned the. You, you... You'd
2: expect him not to, to score both of them And I think the one that you'd expect him not to score Is the second one uh, that he scored You know, it was from a closer position But it was it was very much a similar kind of area Just just closer to the edge of, of Villa's box um, You know, it was a more difficult free kick But it didn't really phase Ward-Prowse Who fired it into the back of the net again um, and, and this free kick was conceded through a uh, handball By uh, Matty Cash it was it was a bit of a, a, a an error, really, on on Cash's half. You know, it, it, pretty much the first growing pain error that we've we've seen from him. You know, he's played very well so far this season, but he's, he's definitely been tested more than a few times over uh, the the Southampton and Leeds games. Do do you think you know it was it was a moment of madness from Cash, or do you think there was a reason behind it?
1: I think there had to be a reason behind it. I think maybe the, the play just happened so fast that he had to make that decision very quickly. And he was probably thinking like, I mean, again, it's very fast. So it's probably just like, there's someone behind me. I don't know who it is. I'm going to handball this, take the yellow, and we'll see what happens. Now, we all know what happened, you know, what happened afterward after he gets the card and the dead ball opportunity. But there are going to be growing pains for Maddie Cash. Look at all the players we had last season in our starting 11, in and out, injuries, no injuries, all those things. There was still, there's still a very, very steep learning curve in the Premier League. Matty Cash is not immune to that. He's going to have games where the opposition coach knows that he's a relatively – well, I mean, he is a new player to the Premier League. They're going to try to expose that. We saw Marco Bielsa try to do that. You know, we see the coach of Southampton now try to do that. It won't be the last time. You'll see it again. The teams teams will try to flood that side of the pitch. But that's a good thing for Cash. He's going to get ex- his experience. And, you know, sometimes you got to take some licks to, to survive in this league and, and know what you're really made out of. I don't think it's going to be a problem for Maddie Cash. It's just one of those plays. I mean, I think he's going to turn in the type of player that we're not looking back. Like, remember we made that dumb play against Southampton with the handball? I don't think you're going to see anything like that.
0: Yeah, I I I do like Matty Cash and obviously he started really well, but he's had a he's had a bit of a torrid time in the last couple of games, although I mean I wasn't I wasn't here to talk about Leeds last week, but I thought he he handled Harrison up to a point pretty well. I think Harrison really gave him his, his first proper test. Um and considering he's come up against Liverpool and Leicester in that time as well, is 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 you know testament to him really. Um, I thought he was pretty lucky Um, looking back on it he was lucky not to get sent off Um, and the reason I say that is because of the the red card we had going our favour against Sheffield United in the first game where it was a debatable goal scoring opportunity Watkins still had an awful lot to do and the same was probably true of um, Walcott who was behind um, Matt Cash and it wasn't it was a kind of goal scoring opportunity if the ball had gone through to him, and I think it's he was lucky to get away with it really um I think the fact that Walcott wasn't in possession of the ball perhaps perhaps saved him um on that occasion but um he'll he'll be fine he's 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 a very good player he's got a lot of improvements still in him, I think, um we still haven't seen him really marauding forward. Um, like he perhaps did at Forest He's he's just been very steady Doing his defensive job You know, linking up with the, the You know, with the other players down that side And, you know, I've, I'm very impressed with him So, hopefully he, he, he keeps going Keeps his confidence up And, you know And, and uh, you know Keeps kicking on, really
2: Yeah, I agree um, In the second half Villa... Continued to look a bit passive but it was it was Southampton's keeper Alex McCarthy that was, was forced into being the busiest of the two keepers really uh, within the space of a minute just after the, the 50th McCarthy was forced into saving a diving header from Trezeguet and another header from Grealish just 10-15 seconds later these two massive chances could have changed the game in a lot of ways for Villa but it really wasn't to be and just 7 or 8 minutes later Danny Ings th- Struck the killing blow for Villarreal. Uh, the striker found himself open on the left before he put himself onto his strong foot and fired into the top right corner of the net. You know, th- you always expected Dings to score in this game, and and you know it, it was an absolute worthy of a goal. There was nothing that Martinez could have done, and I think that was the case for you know most, if not all, of the goals that we conceded against Southampton. There was just nothing that Martinez could do about them. Um, <laughs> Oddly, just after the air mark, Aston Villa pulled one back. Uh, Jack Grealish chipped the ball into the central area, where Tyro Mings waited to rise the highest and head into the net to pass McCarthy. Um, you know, what what did you think at this point? I, I I personally thought it was a bit too late for a comeback, um, as as Mings scored this goal. But especially with how far Southampton had put it out of our reach, but you know, there was an inkling that was like, surely not. You know, you know.
1: Yeah, I I didn't get that far into it. I was just like, I was I was happy to see the the pushback. I was happy to see you know finally, um, in this game at least the team decided. Well, not decided. It's just they worked a little bit harder. You can see it. The body language got better. I don't know what happened. It was just it was late in the day and everything. But it just. They they looked like they wanted to score a goal. And I know that's that's what the game's about and everything, but the body language just seemed a lot different to me. Um I don't know if some things were said on the pitch. Uh from what I looked at tactics wise in the uh second half, Dean Smith um pulled Ross Barkley a little, a little bit forward, not exactly in a ten roll, but almost kind of in the middle. It was a little strange. Um this put John McGinn and Douglas Louise back a little bit together, almost as a straight line, the kind of guard, the, the um the defensive line for Villa. So I mean I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of one of those things where it, th- this one didn't give me hope. It, it was the one after they gave me hope, but it was still good to see. I was like, okay, they're, they understand that they put themselves behind the eight ball and now you got to find a way to get, to get out of it.
0: Yeah. I see uh, what, I, what I liked about the goal was, I mean, you know, it's classic Jack Grealish. It was a lovely little dink ball. Um, he just seems to find a way to, you know, to create these chances, doesn't he? And even, at 4-0 down. I mean he looked pretty angry to me. Um I think you know as you would I suppose being the captain he looked he looked like he was really unhappy um either with his own performance or that of the team or, or whatever but he um he really dinked that ball nicely up for uh for for, for Ming's. Um no I didn't think we were going to get back into it at all I thought. Um but you never know the way the the results have been going uh, you sort of think well You know we we can score three goals in what was it twenty minutes or whatever. (laughs) You know you you sort of think well maybe, but um, no, very unlikely. And I think like you said um, before, Regan. I think if if Trezeguet or Grealish score either of their headers, um, it it is game on because then it's three one. They scored against the run of play. Really, I think, and that that kind of was the final nail for us. anything coming back after that would have been you know more or less impossible so um yeah but it was nice to see us still probing away like mark says and and still trying and 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 trying to essentially win the second half which which we did
2: yeah, you know, and probing away, we we, we did a lot of, uh, and a lot of it was coming from from Trezeguet. Trezeguet looked like a man possessed in the second half. Um, he obviously had that diving header, and he had another exceptional opportunity just before the 70th minute. The Egyptian chested the ball down from targets cross before getting his stroke away, which was blocked well by Vestergaard, and he had a similar opportunity a minute later that was saved comfortably by McCarthy. Uh, the final 20 or so minutes of the game wouldn't be without a little drama and and maybe even a little bit of hope for, for Villa supporters. Um, but it wasn't until the 92nd minute where where Villa would bring a goal back. They were awarded a penalty um, in the second minute of the six added on where Grealish was downed in the box, I think, by, by substitute Diallo. It was a very high leg, in, in, almost into his midriff. Um Ollie Watkins stepped up for the penalty and slotted it into the top right corner of the net. You know, good penalty, strong penalty. Um, just something to 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 quickly touch on. Uh, you know, it was very interesting to see Jack give uh, Watkins this 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 penalty um, as as. Jack was walking outside the box. It almost looked like he was like you know pushing Trezeguet with him, um, and and I think he was basically trying to say Trezeguet, no, you're not taking this. Ollie's taking this. Personally, you know, I would have given it to Trezeguet for that performance. I would have let him take it because I think his performance deserved the goal, but. Um, I read a very interesting stat about Beck Watkins and it it's been a while since he's gone three games without scoring. Um obviously he scored three goals against Liverpool uh, and this was his third game since since that game. Um so the the run continues as it were. Do you, do you think Jack maybe knew that and, and just wanted to to put a bit of confidence into our forward or or do you think it was just like you know he's the striker let him take it?
1: I think it's definitely the case. I think Jack Grealish is very aware of the fact that the successes, if we see success this season, I mean, I think we're obviously going to do a lot better than what we did last season. But I think he knows a massive, massive part to this Aston Villa squad is making sure that Ollie Watkins is firing all the time. If you have to take a penalty off somebody else and give it to Ollie Watkins, just so he has that feeling of, okay, I did my job today, even though it was from the spot, you have to do that. Um, it's very important to have your striker feeling very confident, even if it's just a penalty kick. So I, my, I take my hat off to Jack Grealish because in the moment, that's something you're really thinking about. And Trezeguet probably did deserve to take that pen the way that he came out. I mean, he came out like a, like a butcher's dog. That's what he looked like. He was hungry. He was tenacious. He was running up and down the pitch. He he didn't mind cutting inside. He didn't mind going wide. He didn't mind trying to take the fullback one-on-one. I I was very very pleased with what I saw from Trezeguet when he came on the pitch but again I think it, it was great foresight by Jack to be like yeah now nah, all you got to you got to put one in it was it was a pretty poor day at the office we we got to get you kicked off a little bit I I would always have the
0: the striker taking the penalties if I'm honest I think you know they they need that that flow of goals um that being a penalty taker can give you and it's it's about confidence um as much as anything strikers look at numbers um and you know, scoring penalties adds to their numbers. They don't care how they get their goals. Um, it's all about keeping their numbers going, keep the tally ticking over. That's what gives them confidence. And you know, if you've got a guy like Watkins, why wouldn't you let him take a penalty? He's, he's very cool, very calm, and he's he's a, he's a finisher. So absolutely, let him let him take it. And uh, you know, it's um, it should be, you know. My my centre forward takes some penalties every whatever whatever game it is for me, um, so I was, I was pleased to see him not that not that one in. As
2: the game trickled towards its conclusion, um, we actually ended up getting another goal to bring it back to four um, three. You know. Uh, it it was a little too late you know a a few minutes earlier and you could have potentially seen one more goal for 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 a a point well well earned after coming down from from so far behind Douglas Luiz found Jack Grealish out on the left before the captain cut onto his right foot and buried, buried an outrageous attempt um, from the left corner of the box into the bottom left corner of the goal you know it was an exceptional goal by, by Jack but sadly it was a little too late um, and it'll be forgotten too soon really because it, it didn't Really win us anything to put it mildly guys, what the hell <laughs> what the hell's gone on? Um, you know we've got the mental woes and the lack of urgency, um, but it's really hard to pinpoint just one or two things that that went wrong uh, that The end of the second half was was promising, and and we saw a little bit of fight back, um, and it was obvious that the saints had had you know taken their foot off the pedal, but you know what was the most disappointing part of this game for you?
1: For me, it was just the fact that you have to know what the other team's strengths are, and you, you know you have to beat that into the players' head over the course of the days leading up. That this is what they're good at. Let's let's not have. Let's do whatever we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Whether if it's they have pacey wingers or they're a very fit team. Or in Southampton's case, they have a great free kick taker in James Ward-Prowse. I mean, he's not the only, he wasn't the only option on that pitch. I mean, Che Adams. It's for you know, I'm going to give him props, even though he's the former Blue Nose. But you know, he he is coming into his own in the Premier League. I talked about that on the last podcast. So they had different weapons available. But like when you have when you know you're coming up against a player like James Ward-Prowse, and you have multiple days of the plan for that, you have to drill it into people's heads. Hey. Don't don't over commit your tackles. Don't you know? No, no rough stuff. Keep try to keep it light in the final final third of the pitch. Um, try to win your tackles cleanly. Don't get into a shoving match or anything like that. Don't give them any reason to let this guy do as he pleases, or else. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw what happened. Andy, can, do you agree with that, or do you think it came down to anything else? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I I do agree with that. And I said I said earlier that the you
0: know giving those free kicks away when you know you've got a player like that who who can do it. Um, who can who can produce quality from those areas? You know, is is is, is just silly, really, and it, it 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 smacks of inexperience as much as anything. And I think, yeah, we have to take a little step back and and remember a little bit where we are. I think, um, you know, it wasn't so long ago that we were just scraping into seventeenth um, place with a you know a pretty low points total, really. Um, and all right, we've gone out and we've 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 improved the squad um hugely over the summer it's been very a very good summer. We're still only a few months on and we're still only you know a a pretty young side and an inexperienced side and a side that's 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 got a lot to learn i think about how to manage games in this league um you you have to against these teams southampton are you know, one of the um, ex- more experienced Premier League teams. Um, they've had their ups and downs, but they know what they're doing. Um, and you have to, whether you're at home or, or what, you have to have the you have to earn the right to play against those teams. You have to win your battles. And from the word go, Villa weren't really at the races in terms of winning those 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 battles all over the pitch with their opposite numbers. You know. Winning those fifty-fifties and second balls, really sort of make getting in their faces and making it difficult for them. We just sat off them, really, and you know there was no. It was almost like, well, we'll we'll win the ball back at some point and we'll have a go. You can't do that. You've got to you've got to go after it and you've got to try and upset them because they're the they're the the bigger Premier League side at the moment, as much as we might not like to admit that. Um, and we, we're going to have to get a bit wiser to that and and, and start games on the front foot and. Getting people's faces and and get after them, you know, and win, win those win those balls. Um, that's what's disappointed me, and that's what kind of disappointed me a little bit a little bit about the Leeds game as well. It's almost like we thought, well, we've 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 been on this great run, we'll we'll just turn up and do our thing, and you've got to play the opposition. Um, that's 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 my view. I don't know if you guys picked up on that as well, but that's what I found most disappointing well after the game Dean Smith admitted that a few of his players
2: thought that the first half deficit was was attributed more to tactics than anything else um you know Smith claims he batted that away quickly and brought up the poor decision making on the pitch that gifted a a well known free kick specialist opportunities in his in his wheelhouse basically um after the Leeds game Smith admitted that he didn't really want his players getting into a counter attacking contest with Leeds but that's exactly what happened um does does this perhaps bring up alarm bells at all for for either of you um you know that that I, I you know I, I don't want it to be a, a dictatorship where where players aren't allowed to voice their concerns but you know if you've got players at halftime saying you know the tactics are wrong does does that not sound a little bit bad
1: yeah i, th- I think you have to take on board uh you know, their own criticisms of your tactics, and I think it might have taken Dean a little bit into the second half to really, I guess, I don't know if he made the switch or tell someone to made the switch or they just did it naturally, but like I said earlier, Ross Barkley was kind of patrolling the middle of that pitch above John McGinn and uh, Douglas Louise, um, and Ollie Watkins was getting some some good looks and some good runs behind. Um, he got forced out wide a little, little bit on a couple of occasions, did Ollie Watkins, but still it was all off the boot of, of uh, Ross Barkley, so I don't know. I don't, I don't want it to be something where Dean's like, no, this is how it is. And if you don't like it too bad, play this way. This is how I want you to play. I I, I like the fact that we have enough vocal people in the room that he even felt inclined to have to say this um, at at a post-mass pre- press conference or, you know, interview or whatever it was to say that, you know, some of my players weren't happy. They thought it was tactics, but I assured them that it was, you know, the, the decisions that they made on the pitch and how they're putting in their tackles and stuff. But I mean, I don't know. That's, that's kind of one of those things where you you sit the entire squad down. And um, if, if Dean thinks that that's something that he needs to do, I'm sure it'll be done. Um, you know, it takes a lot of it, – it takes a special kind of person to speak up to a manager sometimes. A lot, of, a lot of players won't, or if they do it, it seems to come out in anger. But if, if you approach it the right way as a player and you go, go to your head coach and say, hey, listen um, – you know, I, I, I've i just been thinking about this. I just want your thoughts on it. If you present it to him like that, more often than not, they'll take it on board. Not that they're going to change it, but at, at least it's an easier kind of transition to be like, this is how I feel, just bringing it to your attention. Andy, do you think that that it was just, he's, he's just batting away opinion or do you think that, that maybe some of those players had a point?
0: Well, it's kind of his, it's his job, isn't it, to set the tactics. Um, we have to kind of get it right in in our minds about, what you know what the chain of command is here and, and Dean Smith's the man who 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 makes those decisions and asks the players you know to do their to do the job that he's asking them to do on the field. Um now once they cross the white line it's it's down to them, isn't it? It's down to them and I think maybe sometimes um we lack a little bit of on pitch leadership you know that guy that's that's there that can that can pull the players together a little bit and 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 make a little a little tweak or a little change um or or g g players up or, or whatever needs needs to happen i don't think jack grealish is really that type of captain um and you look around the rest of the team and and obviously tyra mings is, is hugely um respected and 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 very vocal but but is he a you know, is it is he is he in a position where he, he can he can wield that kind of influence? I'm I'm not I'm not too sure. I'm convinced that conversations go on like that at half time, particularly in the situation we were in at 3-0 down, I'd expect the players to go in and start asking questions and and maybe have a bit of a row and maybe, you know, put it to the management what, what are we doing sort of thing. Um but equally it's Dean Smith's job to to tell him no, this is what I want you to do and, you know, I expect you to do it sort of thing and there was nothing... For me, the players had no right to go in given their performance and the way they set about their job. They had no right to go in and and, and make any complaints about the the tactics. Get your job right first. Do do your job on the field. Get motivated. Start strongly. Get in their faces and, and take the game to them. That's what we should have been doing with regardless of any other tactical plan. So, you know, it's a bit rich really for a group of young players to go in and start questioning the manager really, but it's it's a it's a conversation for the for the training field as well for me. It's a conversation for moore Heath, not half-time at a, in a Premier League game. Um, you know, that they can discuss how they approach the next match on Monday, you know, but 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 you know, but I think that sort of thing goes on a lot more than we we perhaps led to believe.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I th- I definitely think you're right. I think it happens way way more than you know you can ever see from a from a nice documentary like the Spurs documentary, or the Sunderland documentary, or anything like that. I think it probably happens on a game by game basis. We just you know you just don't know that much about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it just worries me because we know how much player power rules at uh, in, in the current Premier League, um, and you know that. The, if players are willing to question the manager um so openly that that you know smith addresses it in his post match comments you know i just don't want to see you know perhaps a, a, an incredibly bad run of form you know we know how streaky of a manager dean smith is um but I, I don't want to see it. It kind of turn into a, a coup to 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 get him out of his job. Almost, you know. What I mean, I, I'm not saying that that's ever going to be the case, but it's just something that 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 kind of jumped to in into my head after 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 reading that.
0: I I wouldn't be too concerned about that, to be honest, Regan. Uh, sorry to cut across you, Mark. Um, oh, no, you're good. Uh, I I think there would have been a reason why Dean Smith perhaps chose to to share that. Um, Maybe you know just to sort of say actually I'm in charge here you know and it's a bit of a a message. These guys haven't done anything yet. Um, I mean, as 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 Ross Barkley won the Premier League with Chelsea, I think that's the only the only thing that they've they've done, isn't it? You know, they they, they're a long way from being able to you know to hide behind you know manage managers' tactical decisions. Their job at the moment is to is to go out and and do what they can to win football matches. You know, when they get to the stage of the, you know, John Terry's Chelsea team that, you know, that nearly won the Champions League, or or sorry, that did win the Champions League, where, you know, they they essentially were, they had a coach in Di Matteo, but they weren't really coached by him or managed by him. They they did it themselves with their own will and their their characters that they had in that dressing room. Um, We're a long way off that. You know they they've got they, they've got to, they've got to knuckle down these guys and you know that they, they won the first four games they were they were superb in doing that you, you know you 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 got to carry on you've won nothing yet um, you know show that you're you 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 have to, to to prove that you're a, a Villa hero or, or or a Villa legend you have to do it over seasons you know in the top end of the Premier League not just for four games at the start of the season when there's no one in the ground, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I was, I was a bit, I was a bit annoyed by it. I don't know if you can, (laughs) if that's coming across, I was a bit annoyed to hear about it, to be honest. But, um, like I say, I'm sure it happens a lot more than we, we're led to believe.
1: Yeah. I I was just, I was just going to add to it. Like you talked about, um, you know, players that really haven't done anything. I think the only one who maybe even, like, would carry half of a license to, to speak up and say that kind of a thing is Jackie Grealish, but that's just because, you know, he's the captain and he's been with the club for so long. But, I mean, I, I can't imagine Ezra Conta standing up, chucking a water bottle up against the wall and saying, this is bullshit, da, da, da. <laughs> Like, I just can't imagine that, man. I can't see it. I, th- I think if, if someone did speak up, it had to be one of the more senior players. And, I mean, there's really only one, maybe two, you know, that that, that can be considered considered tenured actual players so i don't know it's a weird one for me but i do think that he said that kind of you know he he said this publicly in an attempt to kind of be like all right you you guys wanted to speak up so i'm gonna let the world know that you decided to speak up and i shot you down
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely um Villa travelled to the Emirates to take on Arsenal this coming weekend. The Gunners most recently dispatched Manchester United 1-0 and are currently sitting ninth on the table with 4 wins and 3 losses. Arsenal and head coach Mikel Arteta will definitely be looking to take the game to Aston Villa whilst they're at home. As always, as we end our podcasts, I want short and simple Firstly, what needs to improve? One word answer for Villa and then a score prediction. Um
1: keep I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna disregard your rules um <laughs> 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 i just I, I have a i have a feeling about this game and i I thought about it a couple of days ago with arsenal keep our fullbacks pinned back don't let them make forward runs obama yang's about do. um so just, just keep it back but i think it's going to be a 2-2 draw
0: yeah i want to see i want to see a bit more a bit more get up and go from the off really um uh, you know, I want I want these guys if they and particularly if the same players get another chance, I want them to show that they've, you know, they they they're um they're learning from from the last two games. It's a it's a very very difficult game to win. Um, I kind of agree with you, Mark. I think, you know, defend deep, defend compact, you know, and and, and go for the counter attack. That's that would be my 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 way, and I think. Oh god, I'm going to go I'm going to go 1-1 because I can't predict Villa to lose, but I think this is a really tough one.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I can't <laughs> just say that we're going to get beat 3-0 because if it, if it actually happens, I'm I'm just going to have to sleep for 2 days. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Regan?
2: I think I think for me what needs to improve is is our midfield control. I think um it's one area where, where Arsenal are, are relatively weak. Um, you know, they do have good players there. you got Ceballos, El Neni, but you know, they're not, you know the Fabregas's and the the like of of, of yesteryear. Um, so I think we need to control the midfield. And and unfortunately, guys, I'm going to be the person that predicts a loss. Um, and I'm going to go for a gutting two one loss. It's going to be a late oh. goal. But I'm pretty sure the last time I predicted a loss, we ended up winning quite heavily. Yes. So hopefully that happens <laughs> that again. True. I
0: mean, we, we've had a lot of late goals at the Emirates against us. I remember Bentner scoring one really late on a few seasons ago. It's 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 not nice. Um, but uh, again, you just want to see some some improvements, some heart and some some drive. I think, and if they show us that, then um, and go down two one, then so be it. Now, just before we end this week's podcast, just a little bit of housekeeping.
2: Obviously myself and Andy are in the UK um, and obviously we're very well aware of the second lockdown that, that is coming into effect on Thursday. We just want to say, don't hesitate to reach out to us over on the Under a Lamp social media pages or even our email, which is available to see on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, um, you know, or, or any of our personal pages as well. If you need to have a chat with someone, um, you know, if if you're feeling a bit a bit isolated, anything like that, we are here to help, uh, and we are very willing to help. And you know, we've been through things ourselves, so you know, a problem shared is a is a problem halved, as they say. Um, we are a tight knit bunch, but ultimately, we're we're lesser without the support of those who enjoy our content. Um, if you have enjoyed this podcast. Please do leave us a review or a comment or, or or anything on social media. We we do appreciate it every time. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Facebook forward slash under a gaslit Lamp, and on Instagram at under a gaslit Lamp. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa.